Good morning, everyone. It's good to see a lot of new faces here. Some of that, I see some college students, which is awesome. Great to have you guys here. So uh, as Keith was saying, uh, today we are continuing our Uncommon Sense series. Hmm. Hopefully we're continuing our Uncommon Sense series. I think maybe I need some new batteries. Oh, there's batteries in here. Okay. Well, um, if you were here last week, you know that we started the series with an introduction to the Proverbs by talking about the concept known as the fear of the Lord. And uh, the Proverbs tell us that the foundation of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what we did was we identified what the fear of the Lord is. It's not terror of God, but it's a reverence for God. And what it means is it's an openness to being corrected by God. And so, oh, okay, great, cool. Um, so this week, we're going to be looking at our first main topic in the Proverbs. And hopefully, as we approach it, we'll be approaching it with the fear of the Lord, that openness to being corrected uh, by whatever the Lord might want us to tell us about that topic. And the topic we're going to be looking at, as Keith said, is work. Now, work is, of course, a huge part of life. Uh, there's at least two kinds of work that I can think of. The first kind of work is what you would call your job, right? Income-generating work. And I figure that if you work 40 hours a week for income generation, which is a pretty, uh, a pretty modest estimate, and you still get a good night's sleep of eight hours every night, this is the dream world, right? But let's imagine this. Then that comes out to about 35% of your waking life is involved working. So that's a, that's a big chunk of time. The second kind of work that we have to do is what I call life maintenance work. Okay? It's, not life, it's not the kind of work that generates any income, but it's, it's, it's work that you have to do. Um, there's a scientific principle known as entropy. Has anyone heard of this? Okay. And the principle says that in any given system, over time that system is going to become more and more disordered unless an outside source of energy comes into that system and brings in some new energy. Uh, so an abandoned house is a great example of this. Uh, no house that is abandoned over a period of time uh, will look nicer, right? Because over time, the house just gets increasingly more disordered, unless someone comes from the outside and expends a whole bunch of energy on making that house look good again. And the same principle is true in our own lives. Uh, if we don't put effort into maintaining order in every area of our lives, then things start to fall apart. So we've got to do things like prepare meals, clean, uh, do dishes, clean the house, uh, go to the DMV, that sort of thing. And if we don't do those things, our lives just get more and more disordered. Now, it's pretty hard to measure how much of our lives consist of that second type of work. I feel like that second type of work is always making incursions into you know, every area of my life. You, know, you think, oh, I'm going to do uh, these things in this day. But then all of a sudden, all this life maintenance work starts um, you know surprising you. But I'm going to guess that it's comparable, the amount of time that we spend doing the second type of work, to the first type of work. 
So about 35% of our waking lives. So 35% plus 35%, about 70% of our waking lives is probably spent doing work in some fashion. So that's a, a huge amount of time. And let's be honest, we don't always have a great relationship to work. There's a reason that Mondays have such a bad reputation and Fridays have a good reputation. I think a lot of us see work as what you might call a necessary evil. Uh, so work is something that we need to get through in order to not work. Uh, <laughs> for many of us, the goal of work is to make it possible to not work in the evening or not work in, on the weekends or not work when we're retired. Right? That, that's the whole reason that we put in our time, so that we can get the time off. Uh, others of us have a different kind of relationship to work, where work is just basically what we live for. Uh, we work and work and work, and we never rest. We're workaholics. And uh, we might not admit this out loud, but the reason we're workaholics is because we're trying to prove to ourselves that we matter. And work is how we do that. Now, the Bible teaches that neither of these attitudes towards work are healthy. And I think the Proverbs are especially helpful in describing the kind of relationship to work that we should have. So this morning, we're going to be looking at several points the Proverbs make about work and our relationship to it. And we're just going to dive right in. If you're taking notes, uh, the first point is right there on your outline. Uh, and this first point I'm going to make, it's the, it's the simplest one, but it's very important. It is, work is good, and we should do it. Work is good, and we should do it. Uh, two kinds of people are contrasted in the Proverbs. There's the diligent, and there's the sluggard. I love that word. Isn't that a great word? The sluggard. And uh, the diligent person is someone who does their work and does it well. Uh, the sluggard is someone who is lazy, someone who does whatever they can to avoid work. And throughout the Proverbs, the diligent are always spoken of highly, and the sluggard is never spoken of highly. So it's very clear throughout the Proverbs that work is good, and we should do it. And this view of work actually fits very, very well with what we see in the first book in the Bible, in Genesis. Uh, in Genesis, work is presented as a positive thing from the very beginning. And this is important to emphasize because if we go back and look at other creation stories from that time, work is not usually seen as a positive thing. Work is a punishment, it's a necessary evil, uh, it's not seen as a good thing. But in Genesis, from the, very from the very beginning, work is presented as a good thing for two reasons. One, because work is something that God does. And two, because work is part of what human beings are created to do. So in regards to that first point, work is something that God does. You might remember from the creation story in Genesis, and we're actually going to be going into more detail on this later in the fall, because we're going to do a series on Genesis. But in the very beginning... Uh, God takes six days to create the whole world, right? And then on the seventh day, he rests. Now, shelve the question of whether or not that's actually 24-hour literal, day, 24 literal days. We don't need to get into that right now. The point is that God presents to us through the creation story that he works and he rests. And similarly, we are supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to have a pattern in our lives of work and rest. Six, day, six days of work, one day of rest. 
Also, number two, work is part of what human beings are created to do. Uh, from the very beginning, this is true. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Notice, it doesn't say put him in the Garden of Eden to lounge around and sleep all day. Right? It says to take care of it, to work it, and care for it. And keep in mind, this is before the fall. Right? This is before sin enters the world. So think of it this way. In God's paradise, humans are supposed to work. If you've ever thought, oh, I just can't wait until I get to heaven because then I don't, won't have to do any work. I hate to break it to you, but work is part of God's whole system of things. It's even part of his paradise. <clears throat> so, um, oh, and I want to point out something else. This is, this is very interesting to me. It's interesting that the first thing that human beings are supposed to do for work is to garden. And I think that's no accident that Genesis tells us that, because it tells us something about the relationship that human beings are meant to have with the rest of creation. Uh, gardening is only possible because there is potential in the land that through work can be brought into reality, right? Um, what a gardener does is a gardener tends to the land, he or she cultivates it, and in doing so, the land then produces fruit that it would not otherwise produce. And that's a good metaphor for all the ways that our, our work uh, works, which is that God has created a world where there's a lot of good possibilities, and when we uh, interact with that world through our work, we can bring those good possibilities into reality. God never wanted to set us into a world where it was as good as it could possibly be from the beginning. God wants us to partner with him in the work of making the world even better. And, and work is the way that we do that. So work is good. However, uh, those first couple chapters of Genesis tell us something else about our relationship with work, which is that sin has damaged it. Uh, and it's damaged it pretty severely. Uh, after Adam and Eve, the first human couple sin, God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will, you will return. So as you can see, after sin enters the world, work just gets a lot harder. Now, there's nothing about painful toil before sin enters the world. Uh, but after that, there it is. So when we feel like work is this evil, intolerable thing that we just have to get through, when we have that I hate Mondays kind of mentality, that's, that's a reflection of the negative effects of sin in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that work isn't good or that we shouldn't do it, uh, but it does mean that much of the time our work is much more uh, toilsome than it would have been uh, with, without sin. And unfortunately, work is going to continue to be harder than it should be until Jesus comes back. Uh, that's the, the tough reality that we have to live with. But work is still good. Now, there's a very important point I want to make, uh, which is that sometimes, because we live in a fallen world, we may find ourselves unable to work. Uh, this could be due to a health issue, 
could, could be due to some kind of disability, or just due to larger problems in society that are outside of any individual's control, like the state of the economy and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I want to be very clear. Nothing I am saying this morning is intended to make anyone here uh, feel ashamed uh, if you find yourself in one of those categories. If you are unable for some reason to work right now, God still loves you. Uh, you are of immense value. Uh, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Um, your value as a person is not dependent on how much wealth you can accumulate or how much you can produce. It's very, very important uh, for us to remember that. Uh, I've heard it put this way before. We are human beings, not human doings. And what that means is that your value as a human being does not come from what you can produce, okay, what you do, but it comes from who you are. So very, very important to remember. So if you cannot work right now, don't take anything that I'm saying this morning as an attack on your value or the fact that, uh, or, or uh, an undermining of the idea that God loves you. However, if you are in a situation where you can't work a job, I encourage you as much as you can to try to find ways to do meaningful work in your life. Um, you might be able to volunteer in some capacity. Work for you in your current situation might be something as simple as setting certain goals for yourself. So you might say, oh, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, or I'm going to make it an, an effort to uh, read a book a week. Um, or maybe I'm going to make it a goal to have three conversations a day with people near me where I am making an effort to encourage them in their lives. And keep in mind, uh, prayer is a type of work, too. Uh, if you are unable to work in most capacities, there is a good chance that you are still capable of praying. And that is a very important form of work. I... Uh, I heard a very uh, touching story recently. It, I, I read it in a book by a, a pastor and author named Greg Boyd. And uh, he was talking about how his father had suffered a very debilitating stroke. And he was nearly paralyzed. And when he went to the hospital to visit him, he said, Dad, I want to commission you to the most important task I could ever give someone. So I know you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. And I would like you to, to be my personal, full-time prayer warrior. So I need you every day to pray for me, for my family, and for my ministry. And uh, his father had actually been a skeptic for most of his life. And he had converted uh, and, and become a follower of Jesus when he was in his 70s, after a long correspondence with his son, who was a pastor. So beautiful story. Uh, but... Uh, his father responded through stroke-impaired speech, so he could, he could barely talk. And uh, he said, do prayers that I think work as well as prayers that I say? Because it's really hard for me to talk right now. And uh, his son assured him, Dad, God knows your thoughts uh, before you even speak them out loud. And he said, well then, boy, <laughs> I'm your man. Um, and I just think that's a beautiful picture of the fact that even if we are extraordinarily handicapped uh, in some in ways in our lives, uh, we can still participate in the work of prayer. 
which is an extremely important task. So if you can't work in the traditional sense, I encourage you to consider some ways that you can do meaningful work. Uh, what I encourage you not to do is to be like the sluggard in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 22.13 says, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside, or I will be murdered in the streets. And what this is getting at is that the, the lazy person, the sluggard, always comes up with an excuse not to do any work. There's always something. I can't go out there today. There's a lion. There might be a lion out there. Somebody might eat me. Somebody might attack me. Um, now, in all likelihood, there's not a lion out there, right? But the sluggard always comes up with some sort of excuse. And what the Proverbs tell us is, is don't be like that. You know, don't always come up with an excuse. Okay, so uh, work is good, and we should do it. Second point the Proverbs make about work is work is important for our own satisfaction. Work is important for our own satisfaction. Proverbs 26.15 says, and I love this proverb, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Now, of course, the image here is of a lazy person reaching to grab something to eat, reaching into the dish, and then he gets his hand in the dish, and he's just like, oh, I can't even bring this back to my mouth right now. Now, that's, that's of course, humorous exaggeration, right? Most, most people, even if they're extraordinarily lazy, can still summon up the energy to actually eat a plate of food if it's placed in front of them. But I think that what this parable, what this proverb, excuse me, is, uh, is getting at through exaggeration is something that is very interesting, very profound, very insightful, which is that lazy people tend not to enjoy things as much. Um, the point here is not that laziness keeps someone from working, which is a given, of course it does, but that laziness prevents enjoyment. Um, you can be so lazy that it's hard to even appreciate food. And when you think about it, that's definitely true, because food tastes a lot better after a hard day's work. Have you ever had a, hard, like a day where you're working, maybe doing manual labor the whole day, and then you sit down to dinner? Dinner just tastes so good after that. And food's just one example, right? You're going to appreciate uh, uh, going to bed at night a lot more and getting a good night's rest if you've been working throughout the day. If you uh, go on vacation, you're going to appreciate that vacation a lot more if there's actually some work that you're taking a vacation from. Uh, so there's supposed to be a balance of work and fun in our lives. And if that balance does not exist, then fun isn't really that fun. Um, it's a bit paradoxical, but the way I would put it is, in order to really have fun, we need to have work in our lives. Work is also important for our own satisfaction because work itself is something that we need in order to feel happy and fulfilled in life. Uh, Proverbs 13.4 says, the sluggard craves and gets nothing but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So contrary to what we might think, the lazy path in life just doesn't lead to satisfaction. It just leads to an unsatisfied appetite, unsatisfied craving. Okay, the sluggard craves, 
but that craving is never satisfied. So if we want to feel real satisfaction, a real sense of contentment in life, then we have to work in some capacity because it is the diligent who are satisfied. And again, I think this fits really well with what we see in the world. I was reading about a study that said in 2010, researchers from Emory University found that young unemployed men between the ages of 18 to 25 were more than three times more likely than their employed peers to be depressed. Three times, that's high. Now, granted, it's hard to tell which comes first, right? Does the depression lead to the unemployment or does the unemployment lead to the, de the depression? It's hard to know. But at the very least, what this shows is that uh, a lack of meaningful work and uh, depression go hand in hand. There's a connection there. And again, all this fits super well with what we see in the creation story in Genesis. Because if part of what we are made to do is to work, it would make sense that we would not feel very good if we were not working. Okay, third point that we should notice in Proverbs about work is we should do our work for God whether it's ministry or not. We should do our work for God whether it's ministry or not. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. And I want us to notice those words there, whatever you do. Whatever you do. So whether you are farming, or painting, or digging a ditch, or bagging groceries, or mowing a lawn, whatever it is, commit that to the Lord. And what that means, committing it to the Lord, it means doing it with an attitude that says, this work that I'm doing, God, this is an act of worship to you. Uh, I am doing this work to honor and please you. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to think that the only kind of work that really honors God is the kind of work that people like I do. Uh, writing sermons, helping to run a church, that sort of thing. Pastors and missionaries. Um, and for some people in life, that is their calling, to do full-time ministry. But we need to realize that the other kinds of work honor God just as much. You know, God doesn't want everyone to be pastors and missionaries. The world would go to pieces if everyone were pastors and missionaries. Instead, God wants us to take whatever work we're doing and commit it to him. So if you're a middle school teacher... Start every day by saying, God, help me to be the best middle school teacher that I can be. You know, help me to teach in a way that honors you, that honors these kids, and that honors who you created me to be. You know, and if you're, if you're a college student, start every day by saying, God, help me to be the best student that I can be. You know, help me to write my papers well. Help me to go to these class discussions and to interact in a way that glorifies and honors you. And help me, as I take in all this information, to uh, use it, you know, to, to expand my knowledge so that I can, I can use it in some capacity to help grow the kingdom. Whatever your work is, let it be an act of worship. Commit it to the Lord. And do not feel bad that you're not a pastor or missionary if that's not your calling. You know, the kingdom of God, what did the kingdom of God need in the very beginning when, 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 uh, when uh, God put Adam and Eve in the garden? It needed gardeners. 
And the kingdom of God still needs gardeners today. It still needs people who are going to take the raw potential that exists into creation and turn that potential into reality, to bring good possibilities into reality. Now that leads me to the fourth point in the Proverbs about work, which is that our work should be honorable. This is very much related to the last one, of committing whatever your work is to the Lord. One of the ways that we commit our work to the Lord is by doing work that honors him and that honors other people. So, and I feel like this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. That means that certain professions are, should not be open to us. Uh, so you, you really can't commit your work to the Lord if you're an illegal drug dealer or a human trafficker or con artist or one of those people that pushes a pyramid scheme. Uh, some professions just can't be turned into acts of worship because they are inherently dishonoring to God. And if you happen to be in one of those professions, I encourage you to get out as soon as you possibly can. But the situation that we're more likely to find ourselves in is not that we are doing an, an inherently wicked profession, but that we're doing our, our profession in a disrespectful, dishonoring way. Proverbs 20:23 says, the Lord detests different weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. Now, what this proverb is referring to is when people doing business deals would try to cheat people by lying about the weight of what they were selling, or uh, making the scale register higher than it should. So that's an example of doing a respectable, a respectable profession, you know, business, but doing it in a dishonorable way. And this proverb says, God detests that. Some translations say he, he considers it an abomination. You know, very strong words. God hates when people try to cheat each other. And you know what? I am so glad that he hates that, because I hate being cheated. And you know what? I hate that I always feel like I have to be on guard against being cheated, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I have an auto mechanic that I go to, and I, I go to this auto mechanic because I trust him. But if I ever have to take my car anywhere else, I get, start to get really nervous because I don't, I don't trust anybody else. You know, I'm worried that they're going to tell me that things are broken that aren't really broken. I'm worried that they're going to recognize that something's broken, but they're not actually going to fix it, you know, and they're still going to charge me for it. That, that sort of thing happens all the time, right? And it makes life so much more complicated, so much more difficult, because you always have to be on guard against being cheated. And God just does not take that lightly at all, right? It doesn't, it's not just, oh, God doesn't prefer that, God doesn't like that. God detests that. Whoa. So we should do our work honorably. And the final point I want to make is diligent work tends to yield good results. Diligent work tends to yield good results. Proverbs 10.4 Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12.11 He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. 
So this is a very simple point that comes up over and over again in the Proverbs. Basically, if you want to have food, if you want to have wealth, if you want to have an abundance, uh, then you have to be diligent with your work. And diligent means two things. One, it just means being faithful to do your work. Okay? Um, but the second thing it means is being strategic about doing your work. Notice that that last proverb there says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So being diligent isn't just about, I've just got to work harder and harder and more and more time and more and more time. It's also about being strategic with your work. So not always work harder, but definitely work smarter. Okay, now what I'm about to say right now is super important. So if you hear nothing else this morning, I really would like you all to pay attention to this. Uh, if you hear nothing else, hear this. The Proverbs are not promises. And I, I usually loathe when speakers do this, but I'm going to ask us to all say that together right now. The Proverbs are not promises, okay? Uh, the Proverbs are a different category of literature. They are wisdom, wisdom. And what wisdom is, is wisdom is uh, sayings about the way that the world tends to work, okay? Uh, it is generally true that if you faithfully and strategically do your work, that if you are diligent, that you will have enough food to eat, that you may even have an abundance, okay? This is generally true. But it would be wrong to look at the Proverbs as promises because that is not the genre of literature that they are. They are wisdom. So there are exceptions to this. There are times where people work really hard and they do not have enough to eat. Okay? And they do not have an abundance. Um, and actually, there are even places in the Proverbs that recognize this. So, for example, Proverbs 16.8 says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Uh, so what this proverb is saying is that it is better to live a moral life and just have a little bit of money than to live an unjust, amoral life and have a bunch of wealth. And so right there we see this proverb recognizes you can live a good life and not have very much money, right? And you can also live a very bad life and have a lot of wealth at least in a financial sense, right? Uh, so you can see, if we read each proverb as a promise, then we end up with all these contradictions. But if we, if we read them as wisdom sayings, expressions of what is generally true about life uh, that can help to guide us in our decisions, then we don't really have contradictions here. We have tensions, but we don't have contradictions. And the reason that I think it's so important to bring this up is because some people in the church uh, have read the Proverbs as promises rather than wisdom, and one consequence of that is they've, con they've concluded, well, if someone is poor, if someone is hungry, that's their fault. You know, it's because they haven't tried. They haven't tried hard enough. Now, in some cases, that may be true. But we need to recognize that in many cases, that is also not true. Uh, sometimes people are poor because wealthy people have used their wealth in uh, unjust ways. Uh, sometimes people are poor because of life circumstances that they were born into or illnesses they have or discrimination that they faced. Um, there's, there's lots of, re well, 
For example, think of uh, uh, what's going on in Houston right now. Many people have had their wealth lost. You know, was that because that they weren't diligent with their work? No, that was just an unfortunate circumstance. So there are many reasons that, are pe that people are poor that have nothing to do with their own righteousness uh, or their laziness. So to summarize, uh, here's how I would put it. This is how we should let the Proverbs affect us. When it comes to how we live our own lives, we should let these Proverbs inspire us to work diligently. Be inspired. Your chances of, um, your chances of being able to provide for your family, of having wealth, of being able to be generous and share with other people will be increased if you work diligently. However, when it comes to how we treat other people, we should never let the Proverbs inspire us to judge those who are poor. Um, and you know what? <laughs> Even if people are poor because of bad decisions on their part, the Proverbs don't give us permission to be cruel to them. Uh, in fact, they tell us to do the opposite. Proverbs 14.21 says, He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Blessed is he who is kind to the needy. So, wisdom does not judge the needy. Wisdom is kind to the needy. So, let's never forget that. So, let's do our work. Let's do it well, both for the glory of God and for the sake of our own joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the practical wisdom in your word. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you have created us to do meaningful work and that it is, uh, there is satisfaction in doing that. Um, I pray that you would help each one of us to discover what our calling is, uh, to, to discover uh, where our gifts and the world's need meets. I pray that you would uh, be equipping each one of us to bring good possibilities in the world into reality. Um, and I pray, Lord, that we as the church would be an example of what it looks like just to be fully alive and fully human in this world. As, uh, as we do our work, we do it honorably, and we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.